is the Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Today and welcome to Boarding Pass 55, everyone, operating on December 14th, 2020. This is Drew, and I'm here with my fellow in- industry insider, Doug. We're two av geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Welcome to another on-time departure for the next trip. Speaking of insiders, today we have a VIP guest. His name is Tom Polini. He writes about the airline industry for Business Insider. He was previously editor-in-chief at AirlineGeeks.com. Welcome, Tom. How, how was your week? Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a great week. Very busy. Lots of airline news. So I'm excited to dissect it all with you guys. It's going to be great. It's uh, really good to see so much news uh, from the industry. It's, it's it's a welcome sight for sure. Well, and it all seems like it's mainly positive. Th- there, yeah. is, there is some negative, but Drew and I have talked about how things have swung toward the, the positive. December is the month of aviation. So everything from new routes to the COVID airlift, it's it's all kicking off for aviation, really looking like a, a strong 2021 for the industry. And Tom, we've spoken a little bit about your uh, writing career. You were, at Air- you were the editor-in-chief for uh, AirlineGeeks.com yes. with our buddy Ryan. Uh, yes. Hey, Ryan, if you're listening. But then you started like me. You started at the bottom. I mean, I was washing Cessnas and pushing them around, as, and that was like... A miracle to get onto the airport and do that. I didn't care what I was doing. So, what was your what were, what were one of your first jobs? Yes, yeah, so I um, a friend of a friend had a uh, aircraft cleaning detailing business. So I started doing that for free over the summer. I want to say I was sixteen years old, but I can't exactly remember. <laughs> um, then I got a job at another aircraft cleaning company. That led to a job cleaning airplanes, but also doing line service at an FBO on Long Island here. Then took a bit of a break for school, went back to the airport to do line service again exclusively, no cleaning, which was which was great. Um, yeah, I got to work with jets, got to work with uh, mostly general aviation trainers, but that was quite all right with me. Just loved being at the airport. And then I, uh, I entered the air charter world. So I was selling private jet flights uh, for the, the rich and famous. <laughs> and uh, at the same time, started writing for, for airline geeks. And now I'm at Business Insider is uh is one of their one of the one of the company's aviation reporters. Did you d- did you major in journalism or like how did you get into the the writing scene? Surprisingly, not. I was a political science major with a history <laughs> and geography minor. So that that was a lot of writing though, <laughs> L- a lot of papers, a lot, yeah. lot of reports. <laughs> and it was fun. I didn't always love writing uh, in school, but you know when I, when I was writing about the airline industry and, and aviation in general, it was just you know, flowing out of me because I've, I've always been a traveler. I've always been a, uh, an enthusiast of the industry. So I, I was flying all the time. So I had these little like tips and tricks that I love to share. Um, and that translated to a great, I think it was two and a half year writing uh, career at, at Airline Geeks. And, and then uh, Business Insider was looking for an aviation journalist. And it was a, it was a match made in heaven. Yeah, so, that's, so that's I started perfect. With, uh, with Business Insider. Yeah, that's interesting. I started with them in January, going strong. Yeah, but that's interesting you ended up there because if you were so interested in aviation, why didn't you go into that industry or into studying something that would make it easier for you to get into aviation? Yeah, it was. I never thought that I would want to work in aviation for whatever reason. Um, I always thought I'd work in, in government. I knew I wanted to you know, get a job where I could travel. And that was the, you know, that was the bottom line. So that's why I studied political science. But then I just you know, kept getting pulled back into 
aviation. Um, and then once I started yeah, writing, I knew that that was a great, you know, avenue for me to continue to stay close to the industry. And my life just went in that direction. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you've done really well, Tom, because we do a lot of research before our episodes. We look for airline news. <laughs> and even for this episode, when I'm looking for stuff, your name comes up. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, so th this was supposed to be a news brief, but this is a Tom Polini article. So we're going to make it part of the body of the, the, um, the show. So that's, yeah. that's great. So that, that also means that someone at business insider is really good at SEO search engine optimization, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's it, it, yeah. Yeah. Cause it, cause it comes to the top and I, I can, I can speak to that because my wife is in public relations. So I hear her talk about SEO all the time. And yeah. she, she pretends like, I don't know what it means. And I'm like, no, I know. I know. Of course I know what that means. <laughs> right. Well, now speaking of aviation, uh, Doug and I want to know, Tom, what was your favorite aviation experience? That's a good question. It, that required a lot of thought because, you know, probably so many. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the pinnacle though, and I'm sure a lot of advocates, you know, would say the same thing. It was my first trip down to St. Martin. Uh, mm -hmm. When I was 16, I was just, you know, I just got my license. My car was, you know, was exploring more on my own. And I, I was able to finagle this crazy itinerary through JetBlue where I was, I would take the red eye to San, San Juan, Puerto Rico, then take Seaborne Airlines on the SOP 340 over to St. Martin, stay there for the day and come back. So I was too young to get a hotel. <laughs> so I, I I did this all on my own. It was just it was literally a full day, a full a full twenty four hours. Um, went down, explored the island a little bit, and then I went to you know Maho Beach, did some mm -hmm. plane spotting for a few hours, had lunch at the uh, at the cafe right next to the beach, and then uh, you know when the day wrapped up and it was time to fly home, I walked to the to the terminal <laughs> at Princess Juliana and flew home on a JetBlue A three twenty with Sharklets. And it, it was a great trip for so many reasons. It started off on JetBlue. Uh, the A321s were still relatively new at the time. So to fly that down to San Juan was great. First time in Puerto Rico. Uh, there's a cool little airport down there. And then to take a SOP 340, you know, you can't fly on those in the U.S. pretty much. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that was fun. And it was just me. It was me. And it was two other passengers on the plane. So we had mm -hmm. the whole plane to ourselves. <laughs> and just flying over the Caribbean was spectacular. Then the plane spotting. I think the highlight was an Air France A340. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, no 747s, unfortunately. Um, but I did stand behind the fence as a 757 departed, grabbing the rail. Yep, yep. Um, and then, yeah, just, just, we the flight home, we got um, a remote stand, so we got to do the air stairs, which I always love. Um, I paid $20 to get into the lounge in St. Martin. <laughs> the hell That's is not bad. It was a steal of a deal. <laughs> that was before I had priority pass. Um, and just to go to that airport was great. I, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, pilgrimage to go to Princess Juliana. Mm -hmm. It's such a I have never airport. been. Doug, have you been? I haven't. No, oh, my, my, my parents, my parents have been. They said it's awesome. It's a great, it's a, it's a great island. And it's split between the Dutch side and the French side. So you pop over to the French side, um, you know, great little village, great little town down there. And then just, you could stay on the beach for hours and not get bored. It's, it's. It's everything from um, those twin engine turboprops. I forget what they're called. Uh, the, that when air otters? flies, the yeah, otters, the twin yeah, otters, twin yeah, otters. which might be piston. I'm not sure if they're turboprop. Or piston, I, I think they're they're turboprops. Okay, yeah, and then um, all the way up to like I said, the A340s, the 787s, 747s, and and everything in between. It's it's a great. It's so a great now trip. the people that are on the beach are they av geeks or are they just regular people? 
it's a, it's definitely a mix. Um, you know, even if you don't have to be a navigator to appreciate a plane flying over you at, you know, 200 feet or even less than that. But yeah, so, less, less than that. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think it's a, people just go for the excitement and then there's gotta be some, you know, av geeks that are there just for that. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, we're going to talk more av geek things as we get going, but let's move on to something that makes av geeks go. Hmm. And one of our <laughs> listeners posed this question. This is from Eric Rubio. He said, here's something I'd like av explained in a future episode. Why when referring to itineraries with connections, do industry professionals say flyers are connecting over the hub instead of saying connecting in or connecting through. So Drew, uh, I, before we get to Tom, you texted me and you said, I've never even heard this. So you, you haven't, you haven't heard the term over. I always know. No, I've never heard that. I mean, I've heard connecting in Atlanta. I'm connecting Mm -hmm. in Chicago, connecting through. I could see that, but Mm -hmm. connecting over. Have you heard that Tom? No, no, I've never heard that. And I, I'm one of those people who prefers the connecting itinerary over the nonstop itinerary. I've never heard that. Um, we got to find out where Eric Rubio is from, maybe in that wherever. That so I, I've I've heard this uh, when I was doing my MBA in aviation. All the textbooks talked about connecting over and it, it didn't mm. explain why. And after after we got this question this week, I started to do some research. I couldn't find an answer for why. But I found many, many, many quotes by U.S. airline CEOs and presidents who talk about connecting over. I've heard of, I've heard it in Europe. I've heard it in other places. Well, if any of our listeners know, because there's really nothing out there that we're able to find in the research. So if, if anyone knows why this is, why they say connecting over that hub, let us know, because I... I, I really want to know why. So this raised um, some other questions, right, that um, Doug and I were talking about. Things that flight attendants say. And I don't know, you know, I'm very critical and very specific about everything about the flight. So I'm probably overanalyzing this like everything else. So my question is to everyone, have you heard flight attendants say something to the effect of, welcome to San Francisco, enjoy your, your stay here or wherever your destination may take you? That's grammatically incorrect. Your destination can't take you someplace. <laughs> You're going to your destination. Um, I always want them to say where, wherever your travels may take you, right? What do you guys think about that? Isn't that weird? Or does that seem normal to you? It, it's it's just one of the many things I've heard flight attendants say that I don't, <laughs> that I was, you know, cringe slightly at the other is, you know, <laughs> when you're at 38,000 feet and you're like, oh, we've been clear to land. I'm like, well. That's some that's some proactive approach, uh, you know, tower controller clearing you to land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, that, that was actually our, our next one. And that that grinds my gears or it's like we've been cleared for a final approach. It's like, yeah, we haven't we haven't started the descent yet. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate when they say like, you know, we're beginning our initial descent, but like not like, you know, we're beginning our final descent. It's like we yeah. haven't even done an initial descent. How could yeah. We so so well, something that I was I was just going to say something that we didn't have in, in the, the rundown here. I always laugh when I'm flying to a small town somewhere in the Midwest on a regional jet and the flight attendants say, we've got, uh, if you have a connecting flight, talk to the gate agent, they'll have information about your connecting gate. You know, it's the script that they read, Mm -hmm. which usually is when you go into a hub, a lot of the people are connecting, but when you're flying into Wausau, Wisconsin with two gates and the next flight isn't until the next morning on that same airplane that you just flew in on. I yeah. doubt that anyone has any connections that they're worried about. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's always some 
like I've always, you know, when flying between two hubs and I see this on like United American, it's like if you're flying between San Francisco and Chicago, let's say the options you can do, like I always see when I'm looking for flights, like San Francisco, Boise to Chicago is a big one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, San Francisco to Jackson Hole to Chicago is a big one. Hmm. So it's like it's I get it for like those midsize airports because there are some people that will connect, you know, in smaller <laughs> parts like that, but definitely not like, you know where it's the only flight of the day <laughs> no and, and tom i have seen that too and it seems like it is only on united and american i i haven't seen that on delta i haven't seen that on a, any other airline when i'm l- looking to book flights yeah and i don't know if you've noticed those flights are like 200 or 300 dollars more expensive which makes me wonder why would someone even want to do that it's i've seen it like a lot of people who i've seen do it are like you know elite status holders so it's a better so it's shot a mileage upgraded a mileage runner and upgrade thing yeah. yeah and then like i always see like it's it's like oh like united's letting me do standby on this flight but it's through boise mm-hmm. you know but it gets in earlier so i'll do that you know like i've definitely gotten those weird options and i always you know even if i even if i'm flying like non-stop somewhere i'll still always see like oh what's on offer you know and it's like oh same day standby for free you know, but mm-hmm. it's through Boise. It's like, I would, you know, personally, I would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think most people who do it, do it because it's better upgrade opportunities. Yeah. The upgrade that, that totally makes sense. Cause hub to hub, it's almost impossible exactly. for, for the upgrade. Yeah. I, I had, nowadays, a, though. <laughs> I had an upgrade list between Atlanta and Salt Lake city. Once it was like 75 people deep. Well, so the, my first, I think my first trip at business insider was, um, I got them. I had just gotten Delta Silver medallion status, and I'm like, I want to see what I could get with this. Like, you know, mm-hmm. this is pretty. Like, I've never had status before. Mm-hmm. Um, and on Delta, even like the lowest person still gets put on the upgrade list. You know, you mm-hmm. don't need any like American. You need the uh, certificates. Both, yeah, and yeah. which I don't, I don't understand that, and I don't like that at all. <laughs> but um, the Delta, it's so much, it's so much better because anyone can, can, can list. And, you know, that could be bad and good because if, if too many people list, then it, you know, if you're silver, you have a bad chance of getting upgraded. But yeah. I'm like, let me see what I could get with this. I'm like, let me just book a day trip. Let me do as many flights as possible in one day. And I found like, you know, 117 bucks, uh, New York down to Orlando with a stop in Raleigh on the way down. And the premise just was like, let me see how many times I get upgraded. Mm-hmm. You know, let me see how much extra value that I get from having this elite status beyond just the purchase price, right? So the the day before the trip comes, I check in, and like right off the bat, I get upgraded to first on the Orlando to New York leg, A three twenty one Delta, boom, perfect. I'm like, mm. that's that's you know that's already worth it in itself because that's a, almost you know two and a half hour flight. It's a good big cabin. I get a nice big seat. Um, there was no meal service because I was leaving too late at night, but normally there would be a meal service. Um, so it's like one flight down, two flights to go. Um, I get on the, I get to the airport um, for JFK to Raleigh, Delta 717-200. <laughs> and it's, it's looking full, you know, it's a full flight up and first. And I get to the, I get to the gate. My name is number one on the list, but hmm. it was it wasn't looking good. Um, I scan my ticket at the, the kiosk and like, you know, you know, as, as I'm boarding, and then all of a sudden I see the, you know, everything. I, the one thing that you want to see when you're waiting for an upgrade is that little, the little t- ticket yep, yep. To, to pop up. Yep. Like, Here's your new seat. And it's seat like one D or something like one F the window seat in first class. I'm like, nice. So, um, yeah, that was a quick little first class flight. Uh, no service beyond a drink and a snack. Uh, but yeah, so 
two out of the three trips I had gotten upgraded. And everyone who read the article was like, that's a fluke. I never get upgraded <laughs> yeah. when I'm silver. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I know, you know, you got very lucky. And I'm like, yeah, for, you know, Wednesday on a heavy business route between New York and Raleigh, that was a, you know, that was pure luck. Yeah. But um, I think it was like, you know, hundreds of extra dollars in value just on this hundred dollar ticket because yeah. I had that status. That's so status. It's, yeah. it was fun to see before the pandemic, but now it's like, you know, you have a good shot of getting upgraded, even if you're flying across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was supposed to go to Phoenix for Thanksgiving. I was on a 767-400. And then I get the notification when I check in that I got upgraded. And that's, you know, lie flat seats. Yeah, it's the Delta one, one seats. One. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, my God. And I had to cancel the trip, unfortunately, because of COVID. Mm. But I was like, this is wild. You know, I'm getting upgraded on these routes that normally you wouldn't get an upgrade on. And these are $100 upgrades. They're not like, you know, yeah. 50 bucks or 100 bucks. That's like a $500, you know, upgrade at the very least. Yeah. You're speaking Doug's language here. Oh, you absolutely yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So uh, I'm just like. I want to fly Delta as much as possible now because I just want to see if I get upgraded. <laughs> so I've I've got a question. I, I know we need to move on, but I want to I want to hear this from from you, a fellow elite. So Silver, you get the upgrade at check in. How so f- yeah? How often, like after you check in, do you go into the app and see where you're at on the list? Every, every minute. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <Leading> exactly. <laughs> yes. 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 Um, so I'm, I'm gold right now. So I get the 72 hour window okay. and, yeah. um, it's actually, let, let me look at this. So it's, uh, I'm glad it worked out right now. So it's 126 on the West coast, which means that it's 426 on the East coast. I have a flight exactly 72 hours from now. So I'm just, I'm pulling this up. I'm doing this real time guys. So at <laughs> four, four twenty-five PM on Wednesday, I'm flying from Atlanta to um philadelphia so that is 72 or 71 hours and 59 minutes from now so i'm in my window so here we go i'm pulling this up i'll let you guys we'll we'll see it together hey oh, oh, oh there it you is yes you get it. i did you got yeah it. Nice. oh wow you're just so, seeing that now yeah right right now so that's that's real time so i i do the same thing i basically set a timer on my phone i'm like okay there's the there's the upgrade window let's yeah. check <laughs> it, it, it was the first time it happened it was like oh my it didn't happen exactly the 24 hours i had to wait for it uh but it was like every few minutes i was checking and then the the getting the the pass at the gate is always like stressful because it's like you give up hope when you you know when you board and then you get that little slip and it's like oh my god this is great <laughs> <laughs> and then my next delta flight is in um is in february so um that's the next time i get to play the upgrade game i'm very excited because it's uh yeah, it's LA to it's, it's it's LA to New York, which is technically Delta One. So mm-hmm. I don't even find out twenty four hours. I find out the day of departure. Yeah, if it goes through, that's a that's a lie flat seat, and I'm I'm ready for that. Yeah, no, that that'd so, be perfect. As you guys talk, I mean, we got to move on. But as you guys talk about this, so as airline employees, you are the people we hate. Not in general. <laughs> yeah, but but we an we hour pay, before departure, we, pay, we hate we you pay, guys because you're taking our seats. But we pay <laughs> for your kidding. salary. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. We're, we're the, the, yeah. high, we're the <laughs> high value, the, the HVCs, the high value customers. Oh, yeah. When I'm next on the list and a Doug makes a last minute decision to change their flight and takes my first class seat, I'm like, I'm so happy we have his revenue. Yeah, you, get it, you get it on the international flights when there's plenty of open seats open. So yeah. let us have the domestic. You can have the international. No, no. Thank you. No, you guys from an airline employee. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for being loyal. And you guys actually pay higher fares than 
regular people just to stay on the same carrier because of the mm-hmm. perks. So yeah, yeah. It's all and good. Delta gets a lot more money out of me to fly main cabin than basic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever they and it's it's you know it hurts every time, but it's like I need just that that glimmer of hope. Even if I get Delta Comfort, it's like that's a win. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a good value. All right. Well, we we do have to move on, and we do want to talk about some of Tom's articles that he's written. So before we get to that, though, we we do have to mention that this week was kind of a sad week for the aviation industry as Chuck Yeager died. He died. He was 97 years old. He had the right stuff and then some. Uh, For those of you who don't know who Chuck Yeager is, shame on you. Uh, but we will explain a little <laughs> bit for this. So he was the first pilot to ex- exceed the speed of sound. That was in 1947 in a Bell X-1 at 45,000 feet. Uh, before this, he was a World War II fighter pilot, later commanded fighter squadrons in Germany and Vietnam. He was so well known in the avi- aviation industry and did so many great things as a test pilot for the aviation industry and for those of you who've either read or, or seen the movie ride stuff you'll know exactly who he is so really sad at, uh, about his passing i i just looked up some of his quotes the guy was a really down-to-earth person so <laughs> this is one of his famous ones i'm sure i'm sure you've heard it so he said if you can walk away from a landing it's a good landing yep <laughs> <laughs> if you use the airplane the next day it's an outstanding landing so if you're an airline pilot, please don't say that. I don't want to hear that from you. <laughs> but if you're, if you're a test pilot, that's pretty cool. And this is how down to earth he was. You know, when we start flying, you know, I started flying. All of us did. And some of us get airsick a little bit. So he said after one of his first flights, I don't know if it was first or when he was starting out, he said, after about 30 minutes, I puked all over my airplane. I said to myself, man, you made a big mistake. <laughs> that's from chuck ager who's a hot shot even he you know had had something that he had to get used to mm-hmm. i i i love that quote the any landing you walk away from it's mm-hmm. a good landing <laughs> yeah and, so yeah fun. i've done some flight training and it's like you know it took me a while to nail down landings so <laughs> i definitely i related with that quote a lot I, I still I still have bad ones from time to time. Like yeah. I'll have a, one of my students in the KC10 will have a better landing than than I do, and it's embarrassing, but it it happens. Yeah, it, it definitely does. Yeah, you just get better. Yeah. All right, now one of our listeners, Eric, who works with me, is tired of hearing us talk about COVID in the 737, but we have to talk about it because it affects our industry. But we'll just keep it short. So we had some really good news this week, uh, Doug and Tom. The US FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine on Friday, and the first injections, or the jabs, as our friends in the UK call it, uh, will be given to high risk healthcare workers on Monday. So, when you're listening to this episode, the first injections are being given, and then we'll start our road to recovery. Who knows, you know, how soon airlines can keep increasing their flights. Hopefully, we'll be at 75% with this vaccine by the summer. Um, what do you guys think? It was, it was fascinating to see how airlines needed to prepare. I did, a, I did a big story about this a few weeks ago and um, the Pfizer vaccine, you know, while it was the first, it was also like the most difficult to transport because it had so stringent temperature, uh, temperature requirements, like nearly negative hundred degrees um, storage requirements. And, you know, uh, when I, when I first heard like vaccine airlift, I'm picturing like huge, you know, 747s just packed to the brim with uh with vaccine, but it's like, no, we can't do it because we got to keep it cool with dry ice. And, you know, we're limited in how much dry ice we can carry. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, uh, airlines need to go, airlines had to go to the FAA and get, you know, exemptions for that. 
Um, and like it was it was almost like thank God we had this period of of cargo only flights and you know uh, airlines jumping into the cargo business more so than they were because you know they had the necessary know how to, mm-hmm. to prepare for these vaccine flights. Um, and free you know, and airplanes that are available to use. That too, yeah. So you have all these planes, you know, cargo only flights to prepare. Um, FAA was willing to give them the exemptions because there weren't going to be passengers on board and things like that. Um, and now we just had, I saw the UPS and, and FedEx flights. Yep. Um, yep. From Grand Rapids. Yeah. Right, from Grand Rapids. So this is the, uh, it's, it's the second, it's actually the second, it's what I call the second COVID airlift. So the first was mm-hmm. in uh, March and April um, when you had everyone with a plane rushing to China to get PPE, PPE mm-hmm. yeah. right? You had the, yep. the, the New England Patriots plane went. Mm-hmm. Boeing sent a, a BBJ 737. That was, you mm-hmm. know, their own, the, the corporate jet. Right. Uh, the A380 that High Five flies was flying around the world. Um, even the the Las Vegas Sands, uh, you know, 747 that they used to fly high rollers, that went to China, I believe. Wow. So you had so many, like every single person with a plane was going to China and bring back masks. Now it's a bit more, so this is the second COVID-19 airlift. The first was in March and now we have the second one that's flying the vaccine, right? Which is crazy to think like only nine months apart. Mm -hmm. Um, And not everyone can participate, but that's okay because, you know, this is so strict. We need to have these vaccines intact that only approved carriers can do it. Only ones that, you know, have the know-how to fly pharmaceutical. It's a, you know, it's a small but growing list. But um, yeah, now United flew it, the first shipment from Belgium to the U.S. Uh, in late November, I believe, maybe early with, with almost a million, with almost a million doses on. Yeah, one. they got FAA approval to carry five times the amount that they were originally allowed to. Delta's going to the FAA and they're supposed to be getting six times the amount to fly on the A350 wow. and the A330s. Um, so, you know, the, it's aviation's time to shine here. So. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Okay, so moving on, next story is about how Hawaiian adds nonstop flights to Austin and Orlando, and this is going to start in spring of 2021. They're going to use an A330 for this. And Tom, Drew and I have talked about this a lot, about these little green shoots that we see sprouting up here here and there. I know business travel is going to take a lot longer to come back. This is a leisure thing. But the fact that Austin is getting Honolulu service a couple times a week and Orlando is getting it, that's a big sign because I, I remember when Hawaiian added JFK and added Boston and people thought that they were crazy. And then they added some of their Japanese service and, and it, cause Hawaiian used to just be West coast, basically Hawaiian they're they're making some moves. So what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, the, the Boston Honolulu launch, um, believe it was 2019 was huge. Longest domestic route in the U S the second, only the second East Coast destination for Hawaiian, which is you know wild considering how much uh, international service they do from Honolulu. That only one mm. East Coast U.S. city has it. So now with with Orlando, Orlando was the big surprise. Austin is up and coming. Um, it has been for a while. It's even more so now because all the businesses are moving to Texas, mm-hmm. um, and Austin is a huge, uh, huge destination for um Californian expats right um twice Austin's been getting service to Europe pretty steadily over the past mm-hmm. years um British Airways Norwegian uh, I believe KLM but don't yeah. quote me <laughs> they, they, they were supposed to it, it was supposed okay. to start I think in in April but with with COVID they never did yeah 
Um, so you have all these European islands. Now it's time for Hawaii, April 3200. It's great. I think it's twice weekly as well. Um, mm. Orlando was a bit of a surprise. Hawaiian said that it's it's uh, like one of the top destinations in, in the mainland for, for Hawaiian oh. travelers. So, uh, or it might be Floridians love going to Hawaii. I forgot which one they referenced, but yeah, it's the only nonstop service from Hawaii to Florida. So there's no doubt with so it twice. Nonstop on an A330. A3200, it's wow. less mileage than JFK is. So it's totally... That's interesting. Yeah, it, right, which is, I thought it would be longer too. Um, yeah. He mapped it and it was shorter. Um, it's only like nine, less than nine hours um, in the eastbound direction. It's two hours longer in the westbound direction. So totally doable. Um, mm -hmm. And it beats, you know, connecting in Dallas and LA um, or San Francisco even on, you know, United or American or Delta. And then... Uh, Ontario is also getting not new nonstop service. I think it's the only nonstop service to the islands, which is great. Um, Ontario is a great little alternative airport in, in SoCal for the people mm -hmm. who don't want to venture all the way to LAX. Um, and then Long Beach is getting new service on the A321neo, um, I believe, to Maui. And that's the second United uh, Hawaiian nonstop service from the islands using that aircraft because uh, you know Long Beach is, is quite small and A32200 would be just too big for that. Um, so the a Long Beach saw the first A321 Neo flight for Hawaiian back in 2018, and now they're getting their second round. Um, so it's great. It's great expansion all around. I really do love to see it. Drew, the, this guy is speaking my language, the the business, the the network planning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Hawaiian's an airline that I've, I've, I've wanted to fly on for quite a long time. Uh, so I hope to do it soon. <laughs> and I just love, you know, new routes are, are always great. Try and get on the inaugural. T talk to your bosses. See, oh, if yeah. see if they'll let you get on the inaugural. <laughs> I said mm -hmm. I sent the tweet to my editor. I'm like, hey, new exciting new service. And he's like, oh, cool. Like, what kind of plane is that? I'm like, it's this brand new plane called the A33200. It's it came out in the 90s, but it's you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a cool plane. <laughs> and then um, they're they're getting the seven the seven eight seven soon, which is are going to be amazing. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting That's, to see what they launch with that. Yeah. Boston oh, and New York are prime candidates, so hopefully yeah. we get those. Can you believe this guy gets paid for this? I know. I, I'm, jeal I'm, I'm jealous. No, I'm totally jealous. Yeah. Hashtag Tom problems. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, but all right. So more new flight uh, news. So we'll we'll get to more business stories in just a moment. But let's get to business class and what our choice would be for a transatlantic business class cabin flight. Here are your two choices, guys. So JetBlue's refreshed mint business class on the A321 XLR, or would you choose British Airways old club world on the 787? I put new here, but let's let's talk about the old club world yeah. world. So before we start, Tom wrote an article about this, and he he mentioned that JetBlue is going to launch London flights in 2021. Drew and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but what we didn't talk about was the product. And Mint is JetBlue's lay flat product. They're launching a, a, a new Mint service, which they're going to use for their their London routes, uh, using iconic New York restaurants, signature cocktails, new bedding, new isolating noise isolating headphones. So a complete upgrade to the the Mint cabin, which a lot of people really like. Drew and I haven't flown it, but from from what we've heard, people really like that. So we put the poll out and 51.9% of the respondents said that they would take JetBlue's XLR. This is going to be a very contentious <laughs> discussion. 
I feel like. Um, mm-hmm. I, it looks I'm, like it's contentious among the listeners, too. It it's is. so close. It is, yeah. So Jason Knapfall, our, our friend Jason, said he doesn't have preference, both great airplanes. Honestly, he would take Mint, Club World, Polaris, Delta One Flagship First, any of those you can think of. Don't mean anything to me as someone who travels as a peasant, non-revving coach most oh, of the time. Oh, come on, Jason. <laughs> Yeah, he he needs to work the the travel benefits more like me and Tyler and get these premium trips. But anyway, so Justin Yarborough, uh, another listener, he said, I know the Avgeek crowd doesn't want to hear it, but I wouldn't be surprised to see planes like the XLR become the norm for transatlantic flights. Just look at the prevalence of narrow bodies on transcon routes within the U.S. compared to 20 years ago. Yeah, that's that's a great point, Justin. Steve Tao said, hands down, JetBlue, old BA club world feels like you'll need to do hurdles to get out of the window seat or be exposed to the world if the aisle or if on the aisle. And God forbid you're in the rear facing middle coffins, he said. (laughs) All right. Another listener, he said, um, up front, I like the small cabin. He's talking about the A321XLR. Too many people on a club world 787 cabin. I guess it might feel like too old um it may feel like the old baby bus service from london city to kennedy in terms of soft product and he's talking about mint which makes a good point yeah and then you get the best one (laughs) yeah and then nolan our friend said okay what looks cooler pulling up with your 787 with all the features or an a321 (laughs) (laughs) that looks like it might be coming from lisbon or something (laughs) yeah exactly all right so let's start with our guest tom what what would you choose and, and why there's great points on each side, and I've been following <laughs> along on Twitter. I get the reasons for the Dreamliner. I get the reasons for the A320XLR. I would go with the JetBlue product. You would? Yes, okay. I would. And I've flown Why? before. Um, I flew Mint from Seattle to New York back in 2018. It's a great, it's a great hard and soft product. It's and this 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 refresh is is you know it's only making it better and i was so surprised when they told me about the refresh because i'm like this thing's only been around for like six years mm-hmm. you're already making it better and no one's asking you to you're just doing it <laughs> um i've never flown ba business but i've been on the 747 from new york to london where it's you know that same club club world um business class and i just remember it looks so awful and i would not really excited about sitting in it um hmm. Those seats are not direct aisle access. If you're in the window seat, you still got to climb over someone. Um, I believe in certain seats, and it's just awkward. Um, it's Cause not because you're, you're looking at the other passenger because it's right. It's you're looking at the other front, passenger front back through the seat, looking at the they other passenger. They seem so flimsy. The seats, like if I was in an aisle seat, I'm basically in the aisle. Um, and it, and I get it. It's a high density configuration. You want to get as many people on those planes as possible and in business class as possible because it's such a money making route um, from the UK to the US. But the, um, if it was the new Club World 787s, mm-hmm. that would be hands down for British Airways. Okay. But the old Club World, I got to go with JetBlue just because you can get the clubs. Um, sorry, you can get the throne seat, which is, you know, just you in a private suite. And, and mm-hmm. keep in mind, I haven't revealed the exact layout of Mint on the A321XLRs. So uh, it might not be the same configuration as it is okay. now. It might not even be the same service. Um, Because, you know, there's different considerations when you're flying overseas compared to just, you know, within the U.S. into the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. So if it's the same product as it is now, then the throne seat to London on the A321XLR is a great, it's probably going to be a great flight. Um, I have somewhat experience doing that because I've flown TAP Portugal's. Oh, okay. um, Their new one? Yeah. um, I flew that from Lisbon to Newark in the throne seat. 
and that was a great that was a great flight. That's a the throne seat is great, and the pairs are are pretty good as well. You know, they all lie flat. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I'm I'm JetBlue on that one. <laughs> and and I and I get you know you you want to, you do a big international flight like that. You want to arrive, you know, in a nice plane. You know, mm-hmm. you, there there is something to it. Landing at Heathrow in an A321. That's you know when you're going up the 787s, A350s, 777s. It's like yeah, it's like I'd rather be on one of those. But you know, if if, if you can get past that, I think JetBlue's got the better cabin there. Drew, what are your Darling? thoughts? <laughs> I, I I already I am, know. I, I mean, now I, I already I'm know. To change my mind. So I, I would I would definitely still take the seven eight seven because I haven't flown a British Airways seven eight seven and I have not tried the Club World. Yeah. So I want to see how bad it is, or if you guys are all making that up, it might be excellent. Who knows? So I would take that over the Mint. But once I had taken that, then I would choose the Mint so I can try that product. What about you, Doug? So you want to do both, is what you're saying? Well, that, that's well, a, that's a che- cheating, cheating in the answer. <laughs> well, yeah, I do want to do both, but my first choice would be the seven eight seven. Yeah, JetBlue hands down for me. Yeah, uh, really. Yeah, I I hate narrow body oceanic or or long flights just because it, it's not unsafe. It's just I enjoy the wide body experience. And Tom Drew and I talk about it all the time about how we go out of our way for domestic wide bodies because we, we just, we love flying on wide bodies. Yeah. That said, it comes down to that old club world. It is yeah. so bad. And I, I haven't flown in it, but like you, Tom, I've been on the BA 747s and you walk through it there. And, and one thing that I've noticed too, there's zero storage space. Yeah. Nothing. No, it's a, there's, there's no, there's no little yeah. table there. Like there, there's nothing. Right. And I know people say that sometimes the herringbone seats, they're kind of like coffins, you know, like the the current Delta One product on the A330s and, and so on. But at least you have a table, you've got space, mm-hmm. you've got room, you're not awkwardly, you got a little, cubby. little cubby, you're not awkwardly staring at the passenger whose head literally is like three feet from you right. looking right. at them. It's, it's just, it, it is such a poorly designed product. And aren't I'm, their feet like inches from your face? From your face, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's not all right. you know, not all seats are direct dial access, which is huge. My favorite yeah. all time business class seat, even more so than the throne, is reverse herringbone. I haven't done too many flights in it. My dream is to do like you know, uh, New York to London on American seven triple seven with reverse herringbone. I love looking, reverse herringbone. Looking backwards, yeah. No, not even looking backwards. Reverse it, herringbone. Reverse herringbone. Yeah, reverse herringbone is. Is the, the you face the window? Herringbone is you face the aisle. Oh so, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I, okay. I don't. I do not like the. I think Virgin or Air New Zealand has that where you're facing away from the window. Yeah, Delta's, and Delta's also, old. Delta's old triple sevens had that. Well, yeah. it seems like you're so exposed too because your 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 seat is tilted to, is turned towards the aisle. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like and you and you look down the aisle and it's all feet. Yeah, um, yeah. So I've done I've done that. I've done Virgin Atlantics. Um, twice twice yeah i've done twice upper class in herringbone and it's it's it, it was okay you know it's still business class so it's still good yeah but, yeah. Um, but yeah it's an odd setup reverse herringbone to me i flew it uh new york to doha and cutter airways and i loved it i thought it was a great yep. seat um mm-hmm. the new ba 787 i think is reverse herringbone also mm-hmm. uh, the the club suite on the a350s definitely are um mm-hmm. and united polaris is yeah that, so that's my favorite of all time. Any you know, any plane that has that, I'm going to enjoy it. But yeah, that's. I think I think I would love to fly in a BA seven eight seven ten seven eight seven from New York to London just because I love BA. 
But if it came down to it, which is the better business class product, I think it's JetBlue. And but JetBlue also has trade-offs, so you're not going to get the lounge in New mm-hmm. York unless they build one, um, or give access to that airspace lounge, which is a private lounge, uh, or the Aer Lingus lounge. Yeah, it's 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 just got some trade-offs that you have to deal with, but there's also some positives. Flying JetBlue at a Terminal Five at ten o'clock at night for a red eye to London is going to be a less you know stressful experience than flying at a Terminal Eight, Terminal Seven, or Terminal Four, just because there's not a lot of you know nighttime international flights, so the mm-hmm. terminal's going to be less empty. Um, it's going to be more you know, easier to get the security, uh, less walking to the gate, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's no, all, you know, there's all, it's a package deal for both. Yeah, that, that's very true, especially because T7, that time of night, which is where BA flies out of a JFK, is always packed. Hourly service to London. You've got Iceland Air, you've got BA, you've got, um, mm. I think Aer Lingus might be T7. Aer Lingus Terminal 5. Are there five? Okay, but yeah. but still, you've got you've got lots of flights leaving. Uh, yep. My My last time, or not my last time, one time at JFK last year, I think I saw five BA 747s on the ground at the same time, possibly yeah. four. So that's that's like 350 people per airplane in a very small terminal. And T7 is not a very nice terminal. It's it's not. It's better than it was. They just did a, a big upgrade. Um, new British Airways Lounge, new Alaska Lounge. Um, and it, it's compact, which is good if you're, you know, moving through it because you don't have to walk far. But yeah. It's hourly service to London. It's it's um, you know Japan Airlines A and A. No, maybe not Japan Airlines, but definitely A and A. Alaska, you know Iberia. It's, mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Iberia is there too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a, it's a whole it's a whole big thing. Well, no. Before we leave this, if those of you like me who chose the seven eight seven aren't convinced to switch over to JetBlue's Mint, go and go and read Tom's article in Business Insider. But before we leave that, you know, his article, your article, Tom, is so specific, and I love it. You you have it down to what drinks they're serving. So what is it? They're serving their own feature of uh, old fashioned. Is this becoming like an airline standard now? Everyone has their own version of an old fashioned. It was interesting because I was they JetBlue did a virtual event uh, for them for media, and I was on a Sela coming home from Boston while this was you know while they were holding the event. So I tuned in. It was a Zoom meeting pretty much. Um, so I tuned in, and they had sent all the participants um, a little like you know do it yourself you know follow along with the event. We're going to make drinks. We're going to make some of the food. Um, we're going to give you the headphones to test out. You know that are going to be on the plane. And I'm like, oh, I didn't. I didn't get one of these and it was because I was traveling. They didn't want to send me one. Uh, so you keep missing out on stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't taste any of the food and I couldn't, you know, taste any of the, the, the drinks. But yeah, they, they're partnering up with a new uh, catering. Well, not a new catering. They're partnering up with new chefs from the Delicious Hospitality Group, which is based in New York. They have a few restaurants there. And then the wine director is, is and cocktail directors crafting new cocktails for the for the mint. And the big thing is that they want flight attendants to actually shake. Uh, the oh cocktail. wow! Nice okay. yeah, they want hear to hear yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the JetBlue Mint was known for the the mint. There was a special mint drink, and I forget what it was called, but it was like a limeade. It was almost like a mojito. It was very good. Um, and, <laughs> new to the, the new the two new cocktails are it's it's a you know their take on an old-fashioned and then it's a, another drink and i think the best way they described it was like a moscow mule and which is a mm-hmm. delicious like. drink which i love so well, drew our our travel drink of choice is old-fashioned old-fashioned so, so when i, I saw I feel that like i feel like as long we, as they as long I, as they have the candied uh 
orange, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Orange. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a big thing. So yeah, JetBlue <laughs> probably saw our tweet about our trip and the menu and us clinking glasses with two old fashions. And they were like, that's going to be our feature drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we've got to do that. All right. Well, since we were just talking about the soft product quite a bit, the difference between JetBlue and, and other airlines, let's move into a little bit more of, I guess you could call it a soft product discussion. And Tom, you just recently wrote a very detailed article about airline lounge offerings during COVID. And Drew and I are, are very big, we call them airline lounge lizards. We, we show up as early as we early. can and we hop around all the different lounges. And then even after we land, if, if we have access to them, some places allow you after, you after you arrive, we'll still go to the lounge and we'll hang out and grab food and, and grab drinks. So well, now it's work, right, Doug? So we can review it later work. on. The no, show. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, we, we can justify it that way. Yeah, for sure. So we're interested in your thoughts. So tell us what you found or what you didn't find. And everyone, <laughs> as you're listening, go to this Go to this article. It's awesome. He's got pictures of the Sky Club, of the Admirals Club, of the United Club. And he talks about it. Really great pictures. Really great discussion. So what, what, did, you, what did you see while, while you were there? Yeah, it was fascinating. And big props to American United and Delta, each of them helped me out. I wasn't flying. They just brought me, you know, into the, into the clubs. Uh, they were all on board for this story. It was, it was, it was a big team effort there. Um, and I'm not a lounge person. I just got lounge access through, what? I just got CSR, uh, Chase Sapphire Reserve, and mm -hmm. it comes with priority pass. So my first real, you know, lounge visit, um, having that was back in February, right before the pandemic. I was in Orlando on that Delta trip uh, where I was, mm -hmm you know, seeing how far my status could go. So that was my real first time in a lounge where I had actual access to it. Um, other times I've had to rely on people guesting me in or getting a day pass or something like that. So I, I, I came in not really knowing what to expect, but I thought that was kind of good because I got to see, you know, in as someone who hasn't been to a lounge before, you know, would I want to spend money to, to come here? Mm -hmm. Right. And the, the, the answer, it, it varied by airline. So I would, the first one was the American Admirals Lounge at JFK. JFK had New York was just opening up indoor dining, um, so they were you know just opening again, getting in the groove. But you know other locations around the country had been open, and it was a basic bare bones offering. You know they still had food, they still had drinks. Um, the famous soups were there, and I, I had been to an, an Admirals Lounge before, so I know about the soups, and the soups are delicious, and they still have them, thank God. But <laughs> it wasn't you know there wasn't a big spread of food. Um, you couldn't self-serve. Everything had to be done for you. Everything that was self-serve was, you know, packaged in little containers. And, you know, it was like, okay, you know, this is nice. Would I get here two hours early to enjoy it? No, um, I wouldn't. This would be like if I had a connection or if I had, you know, a few minutes before my flight, I would definitely come up here because um, it's quiet. It's a place to relax. You know, you could get a, a, a drink and a, and have a snack. But that's all it really was. And their big thing was we're going to do, you know, avocado toast on demand which I didn't know was big in lounges, but apparently it is because um, mm -hmm. it was not the first lounge that I saw it, that it was in. So yeah, it was a nice treat, but you know, would I get there hours early or would I, you know, purposely do a long layover to spend time there? No. Um, then I went to the Delta Sky Club at, at Terminal 4, JFK, same day. It was almost like there wasn't a pandemic in terms of service offering because they had, you know, a mac and cheese bar with, uh, you know, bacon, chicken cutlet, they had a whole huge spread of food that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't believe. There's any you serve yourself? 
Do you yeah, serve so yourself was, was mac all, and cheese? Not the mac and cheese, but everything else was grab and go pretty much. There were soups, okay. there were salads, there was uh, you know, cheese cubes, cheese and pepperoni. This huge service offering. Um, Doug, mac and cheese bar. Like, we got to visit that. Yeah, we did. I, I was I was at that I was at that club a month ago and they didn't have mm. mac and cheese oh, bar. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, it, 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 it probably alternates, but it, it probably does. Yeah, yeah, but um, but yeah. Th- so that was fantastic. That was like this is what a you know a lounge should be like. And then I went over to Newark, uh, the United Club, and uh, they showed me around. And it was a very basic offering, no fresh food really, besides a few snacks. And they would come around. Um, the lounge attendants would come around with like a cup of noodles or like a hard boiled egg. Um, but then a few months after, I think this is just recently that they're they're doing it is um they're having more fresh food offering it's all individually packaged and, and grab and go um but again united was at the time that i visited it was not something that i would get there early for it was something that if i had access to it would be a nice perk but you know if you told me to if you asked me if i wanted to buy a membership at the time i would have said no um just because it wasn't enough to keep me you know uh, i wasn't rushing to get to the lounge before a flight um and then I went to the Centurion Lounge at JFK that just opened um, a few months ago. Brand new. I was there on the opening day. They were doing tours uh, for media. So I went down and that was like, you know, everything you wanted was there. And you guys know as, as frequent yep. Centurion Lounge visitors. But I yeah, mean, they're I great. for lunch, it was steak and potatoes. And like, it was yeah. the best steak I've ever had. Drinks were free. You know, any you know cocktail you want that they have there, it's free. Um, there was some service. There's no, there's no apologies for COVID-19. It's still really top yeah, notch. And, yeah, and even, you know, while being safe, sure, they serve you the food now. And, you know, if you're like me, you keep going back to the buffet. Maybe you get a little embarrassed that they keep having to serve you the food. But, <laughs> you know, you get over that quickly. And they even had an Equinox spa, uh, you know, experience that was open there. So you know, the private lounges um, definitely had a leg up on some of the airline lounges. And, but, you know, now that United is a new service offering, I, I got to go back because I, I don't know what's, uh, you know, what exactly that update entails, but they're, they're getting back to normal is, is, you know, it's the good thing. Yeah. yeah. Drew, Tom, Drew and I have talked about this and, and we hope that some of the grab and go options stay. We, we call it self catering. <laughs> I I've done that on, on several flights on Delta recently where I, I hop in the club grab a couple sandwiches and then eat them on the flight because there's, there's really no in-flight service right yeah. now from, it's, from it's a, a food standpoint. Yeah. From the airline clubs, uh, I thought Delta's was really good. I, I, I mean, there's still a lack of food compared to before COVID-19, but at least they have sandwiches, chicken sandwiches, which are wrapped that you can take. Yeah. But then American, American express lounge. I mean, it was as good as before COVID. The only difference I saw, this was in Houston. You'd go up to the buffet and they would ask you what you want and they would serve it. It was almost nicer because you were getting, you know, actual service for someone serving you the food. Right. And then people would come to my table and ask me if I wanted a drink and they would go get it from the yeah. bar. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I had that. I'd, I was at the Centurion and JFK last month and it was the same thing. Um, I couldn't remember what the name of the beer was. And I said, oh, it was the IPA. And they're like, oh, well, we have like four on tap. So do, mm. do you remember which one it was? So I had to go up and look anyways, but yeah, no. And, and Tom, one, one thing that I will say from experience at some of the private lounges or, or the third party lounges is everything is free. All, all the drinks, like right. high, high quality drinks, things yeah. like that. Whereas at the airline lounges, you, you get well for free, but right. anything above that you have to pay for. So that's, that is one big difference. 
So that's yeah. probably the, the most when I started, you know, lounging, quote unquote, because I'm still very new to the lounges. Um, I always thought it was like, oh, you go there, you get a meal before your flight and you, know, you drink for free and it's a great experience. I, you know, I quickly realized that that's only for if you're flying, you know, first class, mm-hmm. um, you get the meal like we you know, flagship first or BA first out of JFK. Um, but when I went to the Priority Pass Lounge down in Orlando, you know, the, I was drinking vodka sodas for free. The food was a huge buffet spread um, where you could have like a, you know, not a, a just short of a proper meal, <laughs> I'll say. Um, and then I come, you know, I've been to United clubs. I've been to American clubs very, you know, scarcely over my years as a traveler. And it's like everything you got to pay for. It's not really full meals. You know, you, you're lucky if you get cheese and crackers. So you're you're absolutely right about the private lounges. And um, but the priority pass lounges have been mostly closed in the U.S. Uh, as since I've been traveling over the summer. So I, you know, I'm hoping they more of them open back up so I can continue to enjoy them because that's one perk of my you know new credit card that I haven't been able to use yet. Yeah. Yeah. So let's quickly Avs plane. So um, we're talking about these lounges. All the airlines have their lounges for their frequent flyers. Or if you have a membership, there's priority pass lounges where if you get a priority pass membership, it's this company, you can use these lounges that are run by different people at different airports. Um, and then there's the luxury lounges like the Polaris round, lounge, the BA first, where you have to have a premium ticket to use that and you get a higher level of service. All right. So staying in your home turf, Tom in the New York area. <laughs> when we were planning this episode, guys, Tom mentioned he asked if Doug and I were on the inaugural JFK SFO flight. So United's restarting service out of Kennedy with a 767 starting on February 1st. Now I knew about this, but I I didn't know what the date was. So yeah, I didn't either. Tom, yeah. So Doug and I looked at this and it works for our schedule, which is a miracle. So we are on that flight with you, Tom. Yes. Yes, uh, I was so excited to hear that United was coming back to JFK. It was rumored for a long time. Um, it'll be a six-year absence, you know, once they restart. It'll have been six years from when they left, uh, just about. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. It's a, it's a 767. I knew as soon as that was announced and as soon as I saw how cheap the fares were that I was going to be on the first flight. (laughs) Yeah, they're good fares. Yeah. I won't say what they are, but they were really good. They they were good fares, yeah. Um, And especially for cross country, you just can't beat it. So I knew, I always knew I was going to be on it. And then, you know, hearing that other AvGeeks are going to be on it was great. And then now that you guys are going to be on it, it's going to be a party plate for sure. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it is. So I I actually, I've got a question about this. United doesn't have a club at JFK. Are they going to build one? Are they going to use someone someone else? What what are they going to do? And and the reason I bring this up is because the Transcon market is the highest yielding market for for domestic flights for these airlines, and yeah. it is such an arms race to have the best product to they're have gonna, the best. They're going to have to. Have, they're going to have to. Yeah, they may partner with Alaska or someone else initially, but I can see them. I doubt it'll be Alaska because Alaska is joining One World at the end of March, so Alaska is not going to want to let United competitors in on that route. Yeah, Yeah. it it might be BA because you know that lounge serves the morning. The BA okay, so the BA Galleries Lounge is the the shared use lounge at, at Terminal Seven. If you're flying business class on virtually any airline out of the terminal, you have access to that lounge, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, a few more United passengers might not be too big of an impact. Break the bank, yeah. I was there in March. They just redid it right before the pandemic. I was actually touring 
uh, the BA A318, which uh, stopped service permanently just a few weeks later. Um, but it's huge. So it could fill people in it. Okay. It will use that because, you know, everyone that uses that terminal business class has access to that lounge. Um, Priority Pass users, however, have access to the Alaska Lounge, which is similarly brand new because Alaska is new to that terminal as well. Um, they have a self-serve pancake machine. They have a Starbucks barista, I believe. So you have options when you're flying United. Um, and I'll put money that they're going to use the Galleries Lounge. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because it is a you do you do expect that uh, access as a, as a business class traveler for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's a premium configure. It's a premium focus route because the 767 they're using is mostly business class seating. Yeah, it's the high, the high J, the high J. Yeah. So something like, I think just under 50 lie flat Polaris business class seats, then a premium uh, economy section. And then like a few rows of economy, which we are filling up on the first flight. Yeah, we are. So yeah, yeah, it was the same way with the, with the PS service, which was the, the iteration that, you know, ended in 2015, where it was the first Mm. class, it was, it was a three class 757. I'd never seen anything like it. My first flight on it. Three class 757, first class business class and economy. Um, and it's a, it's a, you know, it's, 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 I don't want to say it's a moneymaker for United because the, the original service was a money loser, but it's, you know, the clientele that's on that, those flights are usually the, the high end people. Mm-hmm. Well, Doug and I, Doug, we talked about this on the last episode about Newark and Kennedy and the importance to be in both. What were your thoughts on that? Um, you were saying you're talking about Long Island, and I yeah, think Tom. Long yeah, uh, Tom, I, I mentioned that going from like east of JFK to get over to Newark, if you're a United passenger, that's it, it's not fun because you have to yeah. you have to go through the the city somehow, whether you go through Staten Island or Manhattan or or however you do it, and it's not cheap either with the the bridges and tunnels and all that. So United was leaving a lot on the table by not being at JFK. And and you live east of the airport, right? I, I, I do. I'm on Long Island. Um, it's it's crazy because fares are so cheap out of Newark compared to JFK and LaGuardia that it's like if I lived in Newark or near Newark, it would be a slam dunk every single time. Parking is cheap there. Um, flights are cheap there. But the tolls and the drive time jacks it you know, way up to where it's comparable now to fly to JFK LaGuardia. So mm. United, you know, United had both. And I think they're the only, I don't think American flies to the coast from Newark. They might, I don't think they do. Delta doesn't fly to the coast from Newark. So, you know, JFK is really the, the coast to coast airport. And, you know, from Midtown, Newark is as convenient as going to JFK because you got the train, you got, you know, the drive. It's pretty quick. It's right there. But yeah, for someone who lives on Long Island, you know, you, you don't want to be driving to Newark. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. All right. Well, Tom, thanks for joining the conversation with us. And thanks for your great articles and Business Insider. We use them as a source for a lot of our topics and we will continue (laughs) doing so. So we're happy to actually have a a face to the name and and have the person that that we quote a lot here. So this this is great. No, thank you for having me. This is great. I love talking about aviation. So uh, this was was perfect. Yeah. And, you know, we mentioned that flight and uh, it'll be nice to meet you in person, Tom, on that flight. But we want everyone to know, we want everyone, our listeners to come, but just make your own decision because travel, uh, free travel around the country is still not encouraged. So we got to be careful. And, you know, we we are taking risks, but we're being careful. So make that decision for you. There is still a quarantine in New York. So if you're connecting, 
you're okay. You, you don't, if you stay in the airport, you don't have to quarantine. But if you leave the airport, you have to quarantine for 14 days. So just keep that in mind for anyone. Not that's 14 thinking days. About it. It's, you could test out now. So just keep that test in mind. Out. After so, four days, you could test out. Yeah. So you can get the, you can bring a, uh, a negative test. I think you, you have to bring a negative test. And then after four days, you have to get another negative test. And then you're, you don't have to quarantine. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, still, still make your own choice. <laughs> if it makes sense for you yeah. to travel, do it. Uh, join us on the flight. We're going to be all the way back in economy, <laughs> taking yeah. up the all the center aisle seats because all the window seats are taken. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun flight. It's going to be a fun flight. So, um, guys and gals, you can find Tom's articles at businessinsider.com in their transportation section, and he's also on Twitter at at t polini. Any, anything else you want to promote or uh, tell people how to find you? That's that's the two places to find me. I'm, I'm big on Twitter, promoting my articles. But uh, yeah, follow Business Insider on every platform. We're on everything from Facebook to TikTok. Um, so find sure. us all there. <laughs> uh, if you're if you're on the, the first United flight, come say hello. Uh, you could find my photo on Twitter. So it's uh, you'll be able to recognize me. Hope to see a lot of Av Geeks there. Inaugural flights, I've done them. I've done a lot of them. They're, they're always fun. They always bring out uh the best enthusiasts it's a six and a half hour flight but i promise it'll it'll fly by <laughs> with all the great conversation going on oh uh, i think it's going to go real fast and just for some detail so it's it's united flight 521 uh departing from jfk to san francisco at 8 a.m yes so that's the flight that's the that's the first flight there's an la flight at 9 a.m all right to our listeners this podcast is your show so go on our new website nexttripnetwork.com and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter at Next Trip Podcast. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 55, everyone. Operating on December 14th, 2020. This is Doug and I'm here with my fellow industry nope. insider. No, nope. you, you forgot what? to change that. You're Drew. Oh. I'm Doug. Did I say I'm you, Doug? You said this is Doug. I'm here. <laughs> oh, <with that>. <laughs> you forgot to change that. I can't get that intro right to save my life. This is Doug. All right. All right. Take two. Right. <laughs> you know he's going to put this in the. <laughs> this, I was just thinking that's the outtake. No, that's that's absolutely All right, the so, outtake. Um... <laughs> All right.